The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Have you, have you ever felt like you don't belong? Maybe some of you are thinking, has anyone ever not felt like they don't belong? If you ever felt like you don't belong, maybe you feel that way right now. I don't belong here. I remember um, in high school, I began to realize that this group of friends I had, um, I was working very hard to break in, and, and I kind of just realized at one moment that I was never going to break in. There was this very painful thing that happened, which I won't go into now, but I realized I don't belong. So what happened after that was my mother, she had a friend, um, went to a, a, it would be a new church for us, a new youth group, and so my mother talked to her friend, and then uh, my mother's friend's son was going to show me around, right, at youth group the first night, and it was this huge church, I think they actually have like 18,000 people at this church today, if you can imagine that, it's a city, I know, Um, it was this huge church, huge youth group, very cool, Um, he, he did his best, right, to show me around. And, and the, uh, I felt like a third wheel. You ever felt like a third wheel? I don't belong. I felt like a third wheel. He tried his best to show me around. And, and I still remember, here I am, 41 years old now. I still remember the, e- the end of the evening when he looks at me and, you know, it's time to leave. And he goes, um, hey, thanks for coming. It was nice to meet you, Pat. <laughs> nice to meet you, too. <laughs> and it just landed on me again. I don't belong. I don't belong anywhere. Of course, that was high school. We probably all feel that, and and especially in high school. But I don't know, now that a couple of you are older than that, uh, does it go away? The need to belong, it doesn't go away. You still want to belong. The difficulty in belonging, it still remains. Sometimes it's very painful. We all want to belong. We want to be known, enjoyed. We want to participate. We want things to be working, to feel okay. We want to enjoy life. We want to do what we feel like we're made to do. Um, and, and that just disappears so often in relationships, in our families, in our health, politically. How many of you are like, I don't belong? I, I don't. Um, we have this ache to belong. We have this sense that we don't belong. What do we do with it? Well, I think there's something here really to learn from in this need to belong. Uh, We're gonna be spending our time this fall in uh, the letter, what we call 1 Peter. It was written, obviously, by the apostle Peter. He called himself an apostle. That means he was an eyewitness of Jesus' life, death, resurrection. He heard Jesus teach. It also means Jesus gave Peter authority to proclaim what it means to know and follow Jesus. So he know what it means to follow Jesus through this letter Peter writes. And the first thing for us to see is who Peter writes to. You see that in verse 1, right? Um, He mentions churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. But basically, right, he's writing to churches, isn't he? Across this long geographical area, what what would now be uh, Turkey, the nation of Turkey. So so he's writing to churches, and and, um, he's just writing to people who have trusted their lives to Christ, right? People who believe in Jesus Christ, that's, that's who he's writing to. It's a, it's a wide group, right? It's so huge, so there's tons of diversity. 
in who these people are ethnically, um, economically, tons of diversity, but the one thing they have in common is they've trusted their lives to Jesus Christ. I want you to see what he calls them. I want you to see what he calls them. Look what he says in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are, what? Elect, and what's that next word? Exile. Calls them exiles. What is an exile? What does that mean? You've been kicked out. You, you, where you live now, it's not your home. Where you are now is an exile. It's not actually where you belong. You have a different culture, a different language, different practices, different goals, different expectations, different values. You know, as we read this letter, we'll see for these people, life is very hard. It's very hard. They have difficulties. They have sufferings. They have persecutions that most of us almost can't even relate to. Life is hard, and he tells them, hey, as he begins to write, you're exiles. And an exile, by definition, is someone who doesn't belong. Isn't that interesting? He'd start his letter like this. Hey, dear churches, to those who don't belong. Why would he say that? Why is that important to him? Uh, This is what's landing on me. I don't think we'll be able to understand the Christian life like we should until we realize how much we don't belong. You can't understand the Christian life like you should until you, until you realize how much you don't belong here. So this morning, we're just going to look at these first two verses. Uh, it's really kind of the foundation for the rest of the letter, sets up the rest of the letter. And uh, here's what I want us to see, uh, basically four things. Who we are, what happened to us to make us who we are, what we can rely on, why we're here, and then a couple of applications. So who we are, what happened to make us who we are, what we can rely on, why we're here, and a couple of applications. So number one, who we are. We've seen it a little bit already. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. What I want to think about here is, uh, where do you think I, this idea is coming from? That Peter would, would slap on this title, hey, you're exiles. Is there any background to it is there any kind of prior understanding that gives us more color as to, as to what he means? Did he just pull this from out of nowhere? I don't think so. Uh, you'll remember, if you're familiar with your biblical storyline at all, what happened to the people of Israel at the end of their history, at least in the Old Testament? They became dispersed all over the place. They became exiles. This is a huge biblical theme the people of Israel became exiles. You'll remember Israel's Abraham's descendants. What are they for? They are to be a light to the world. They are to show the goodness of God in how they live. They're to be a model so everybody, sees, so everybody looks at them and says, oh, God's wonderful. How did they do with that? They, were, they not only weren't an example to the world, they were worse than the world. Um, worse than the world. Evil full of injustice. And so as a result of that, they were kicked out of their home. They were sent into exile, specifically into Babylon. Can you imagine what that would be like? We have it happening in our day, right, in Syria, people being enduring exile. Can you imagine what it would be like to 
lose everything about your homeland and be left with nearly nothing and have to go to this majority culture that doesn't appreciate you, doesn't understand you, demeans you, and you've got to scratch out a living there. What do you think, easy or hard? Unthinkably hard. It's hard to be in exile. But I want to show you, I want to show you what the prophet Jeremiah wrote to the exiles. I want to show you what he wrote. It's a little bit long. It's, uh, we're going to look at 10 verses. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read it for you. We're going to have it on the slides. And I want you to collect, just in your mind as you read this, clues about being in exile. Clues about being in exile. We'll start in Gen- Jeremiah 29.4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, don't decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll visit you. I'll fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. You'll come and pray to me. I'll hear you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. What did you pick up from that? It would feel hopeless to be in exile. It would feel hopeless. But what is God's word to those exiles? Is it hopeless? No. It's hard, but it's not hopeless. It's rough, but don't despair. God is basically saying, right? I haven't forgotten you. I have not forgotten you. I still have plans for you. I'm not finished. I'm not finished. Don't look at this life and say, oh, it's all there is. God's finished. No, I'm not finished, God is saying. I'm not done. What does he want them to do while they're in exile? A big one was seek me, right? Seek me with all your heart. Don't treat me like a hobby. Don't just remember me as a tradition of your family way back when. Go after me hard. If you seek me, even in the midst of this despair, what will happen? You will find me. You will find God. You can know him, relate with him, be changed by him. You will find God. And then the third thing, what did he want him to do with the city they're in? Really kind of surprising, right? You go to Babylon as an Israelite. Are Babylonians like your best friends? Are they of the highest moral and ethical character? No, you don't belong here. And yet, how are you supposed to treat them? Work for the welfare of this city that's captured you. Don't get revenge. Don't be bitter. Don't hide in a corner. Work for the welfare of this city. Engage for their good. 
I think that idea, this idea behind in Jeremiah 29, I think that's in what Peter is talking about. In the same way we're exiles, it's gonna be rough, we're not forgotten. In the same way we need, to, we need to spend this time seeking God, going after him, and live for the welfare. We have, we have to know this thing, right? This world, this place, this county, it's not our home. And yet, what do we want to do? Work for its good. That's all behind this idea of exile. So wouldn't you agree if you saw yourself... Um, if you saw yourself as an exile, it would change your perspective on life? Would it, would it change your expectations in life to think of yourself as an exile? I think it would. What can you expect if it's true that you're in exile here? Number one, you can expect not to belong. You can expect not to belong. Now, we have a disease here, right, in America, the American dream is basically, you can have heaven now. You can stay young forever. You can have everything in all the commercials, right? If you drink the right beer, it really will make the opposite sex interested in you. You can have it all now. Heaven right here, this is your home. This will satisfy you forever. And, and the knowledge of an exile goes, I see right through that mess. No, it can't satisfy me. It can't give me everything I need. It won't answer all my dreams. It's not my own. Expect not to belong. Number two, expect hard times. Expect hard times. There's a brand of Christianity out there that says if you know and trust Jesus, uh, your life will become roses and lollipops and you'll never suffer again. And that is what we call a lie. It's what we call a lie. Um, this letter is going to be real honest with us about, ex yeah, there will be suffering. And you can expect it. I don't think we ever quite get away when suffering comes. We always feel surprised, right? We feel surprised. In our minds, we knew it happened out there. We'd heard rumor, right? We'd heard rumor. We knew somebody. We watched the news. We knew it happened out there. It hits here, and we're like, what just happened? Expect suffering. We're in exile. Expect not to belong. Expect hard times. Expect to be misunderstood. Expect to be misunderstood. Do you think the Babylonians always understood Israelite worship, Israelite culture, and valued it with tolerance? No. No. If, if you live for Jesus and you love him and you, and you want to follow him and you want his character in your life, guess what you can expect? Expect to be misunderstood. Expect the need also to remember who you are and what you're about. What do you think is tempting? Say you're a teenage, uh, say you're a teenage Israelite. You got kicked out of uh, Jerusalem High, right? It's terrible. You're a junior. You lost all your friends. Now you got to go to Babylonian High, okay? And everybody there, they dress, they speak, they think, they do Babylonian. Well, you tell me. What's the pressure on you? Hey, kids, what's the pressure on you when you're with a group of friends and they all think different, look different, act different, and they want different? What's the pressure? Be just like them. It's not just for kids. Be just like them. Hey, it's on TV. You're supposed to have this. 
hey, Christianity, that's ridiculous. Uh, look, look to this instead. It's going to be pressure. Sometimes it's not even an intellectual thing. It's this cultural push on you to think and feel and do in certain ways. And before you, before you know it, the, the little Israelite kid he looks Babylon, Babylonian. Before you know it, this Christian person looks just like the world. So what can you expect? Expect a street fight for your own identity in your heart. Who do you belong to? Who do you live for? Where's your home? These are all expectations of the exile. So that's who we are. We're exiles. We don't belong. Um, Second point, what happened to make us different? What happened to make us different? Again, look at uh, verse 1. To those who are, what does he call them? Say it again. Help me out. Elect exiles. I want to look at that first word now. Elect. What's that mean? You elect a president. What did we do? We chose him. Elect means chosen. That's interesting, isn't it? Why are you exiles? Because you're chosen. So you don't belong here because you belong somewhere else. And we're going to look at three aspects of this belonging right now. You're a stranger here because a foreigner has claimed you. Number one, elect exiles, and now go to verse two. According, so that, that modifies exile. Exile, or elect, elect exiles according to, according to what? Can you tell me verse two? According to the foreknowledge of God, the who? Father. The foreknowledge of God, the Father. If he's a father, you're a child. That changes how you see belonging. According to the foreknowledge, what does that mean? You're chosen according to foreknowledge? That is Christian talk right there. That's museum talk, and most of us are like, I don't know. What does it mean? Some people say, uh, it's this idea maybe of middle knowledge, that God chose you because he knew that you would choose him. So it's kind of like this choosing equation. Does that help you feel warm fuzzies, that God chose you only because you chose him? Who chose in the end? In that view, you did. And so what's all your hope resting on? Yourself and how great you are at loving God, which to me is fairly hopeless. I don't think that's what it means. I don't think that's what foreknowledge means. Option two on this is he chose you relationally. Let me give you one Old Testament background. I got a slide on there with uh, Jeremiah 1.5. Jeremiah 1.5. What does it say? Before I formed you in the womb, I what? I knew you. And before you were born, I what? I consecrated you. What's consecrated mean? I got, a, I got a purpose. I knew you for a purpose. There is a relational purpose. Peter uses the same word down in 1 Peter 2.20. Look at this. Jesus, Peter says, was what? Foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for your sake. So did Jesus come just because God knew ahead of time that Jesus would come? No. Jesus came for a, for a reason, and it was for your sake. 
What does that mean, for your sake? He came for you because he loves you. This is what it means to be chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. If you have trusted your life to Jesus, that's the kicker, if you have trusted your life to Jesus, Peter wants you to know how much you belong, even though you're in exile here, how much you belong with God. You're in exile here, you're a child there. And you are so loved that you're not a child because you're like, God, please let me in. Oh, no. You're a child because he said to you, I love you and I want you. And you're mine. And if you can taste that, if you can taste that, if you can get that into your, in, through your brain and into your heart, God loves me like that. I'm chosen. I'm his. I'm his child. Belonging changes. That's the first part. You've been elect according to the foreknowledge of God. What's the, what's the second part? According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, verse two. The second part is, in the sanctification of the Spirit. In the sanctification of the Spirit. Got more church language here. What does sanctification mean? Uh, it means to make something holy. Oh, that doesn't help, because now I said holy. What, is, what does holy mean? Set apart as uniquely valuable. God is holy, Okay. So sometimes, Christians, we use this word sanctification to mean the process by which you become more like Jesus. Over time, slow growth, right? Is this happening to you, Christian? Are you slow, slowly sometimes? Too slowly? Um, I'm too, I'm, but I'm becoming more like Jesus in the way I think, the way I live, hopefully. That's sanctification. That's a totally fair way to use the word. I don't think it's the way the word's being used here. I think the context here is what happens to you when you're converted, and so to make you holy by the Spirit is when you're awakened and, you, and you're, you're done with a life without God. You don't want that anymore. And you trust yourself to Jesus and everything changes. Let me show you in context from Peter. Look at 1 Peter 1, 3. 1 Peter 1, 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he's called us to be what? Born again. Have you heard that phrase before? Born again. I don't know what baggage might come with that phrase for you, but just melt it down to this. Your birth is where you start. That's where you start. And this idea is that there's a new start when you become a Christian. The Holy Spirit comes, and Jesus makes this real clear in John 3, the Holy Spirit comes and pops open the eyes of your heart to where Jesus just goes from, oh yeah, whatever, Jesus, to like, oh, you're it. You're the Son of God. You're the King of Kings. I'm yours. It's a, it's a new heart where you, you love God and you're softened by his love for you. Born again. That's what Peter's saying with the sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit came, see, the Father chose you, says, I want that one for my child. And the Spirit comes and, and makes you holy in awakening you to where you now have this, this title of set apart to God. And the Spirit worked it in you. And the point is this, how much do you belong? How much do you belong to God? The Spirit has come to get you. He's awakened you. He's given you 
new birth. Again, 1 Peter 1.23, you've been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the word of God. You, you believed it. Come on, how many of you have tasted this, right? You'd read the Bible before, boring, don't care. One day, something, something changed in your life, and it's the word of God. Your heart got changed. Your mind got changed. You were made holy. You were set apart to God. You were born again. You believed. According to the foreknowledge of the Father, elect. According to the sanctification of the Spirit, third one. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Obedience to Jesus Christ. Uh, you are aware, right, the Christian life, if we're getting really plain and simple, Christianity 101. Um, how do we respond to what Jesus says? at least theoretically, obey, obey. And so that, again, could be a picture of that progressive sanctification. I obey better and better. I don't think so, again. I think this is conversion. Does the Bible ever talk about trusting in Christ for the first time as obedience? Look at Romans 1.5. Paul says there, we've received grace and apostleship to bring about what? The obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. So when Jesus says, hey, I've come for you, I've died for you, I rose for you. If you repent and trust me, I'll make you a child of God. He comes and he says, repent and believe the gospel. Was that a suggestion? Or was it a command? The most loving command he could ever give. And so when you trust Jesus... You've already been sanctified by the Spirit. He opened your eyes. He changed your heart. Your response to that is, when you trust Jesus, is, I'm yours. I, I believe you. Save me. Save me. Save me. I'm yours, Jesus. Guess what that was? That's your first obedience. It's your first obedience, and everything follows after that. The obedience of faith. You believed. You repented. And we see how this is working because it's the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for, it's the same idea, for what? sprinkling with his blood. What does that mean? Well, God always makes covenants with his people, right? Serious relational commitments with his people. And how's that covenant ratified all through the Old Testament? What would the priest do? It's ratified by sacrifice, right? An animal dies in your place for your sin and the blood is sprinkled on the holy altar or even sometimes on the people, and here Peter is saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. He's the fulfillment of all that. When, when was his blood shed? On the cross. On the cross. And Peter is saying, when you trust him, when you trust Jesus, the work of the cross is now applied to you. The work of the cross is applied to you. So everybody go ahead and think of that skeleton in your closet that you'd be terrified to let anybody else in this room know about, the thing you're so ashamed of, the thing you regret so much, that thing where still in your soul you're like, I'm not sure God can forgive me for that. I'm not sure. Let me just tell you what the cross does. It pays for every sin. It pays for every sin. If you repent and you turn to Jesus, there's not one sin, regret, mistake that his cross won't cover. And if you feel the burden 
of your not being enough, not being good enough, and you lay that at the cross, and that his blood is sprinkled on it, he can look you in the face and say, it's paid for, it's over, it's taken care of, it's not an issue anymore. If you can trust that, how much do you belong? See, you're forgiven, you're brought in. Do you see, do you see what the triune God is doing here? The Father has said, I'm making you mine, I'm choosing you. The Son accomplished your salvation, died on the cross for you, bringing you in as children. Because the Spirit has applied that to you, changed your, your eyes, your heart, so that you see and love Him. What is the triune God doing to you? He's bringing you in. You're not a stranger with Him anymore if you trust Christ. He's your Father, and you belong. At the risk of being cheesy, look, if you trust Christ, say this with me, I belong. Say it, I belong. Say it, I belong to my Father. I belong to my Father. You belong. You're in exile here because you belong there. What do we rely on while we're here? We're in exile, right? So exile, we've seen, that means uh, life's gonna be hard. There's gonna be sufferings. There's gonna be trials. There's gonna be persecutions. There's going to be this fight to not just melt into the world. There's going to be this fight to keep your identity as a Christian. You need to lean on that God has brought you in and you belong to him. And look at what Peter gives as a blessing in verse 2. What's he say? To you, your elect exiles, you're chosen, you're loved by God. And then what does he say? Verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. What are you going to rely on? In your time of exile, God's grace and peace that's for you now because you already belong to him. What's grace? It's the lavish, undeserved love of God. Uh, go with lavish. Lavish means lots of it, right? Lots of it. You're going to run out? Undeserved. That's my favorite part of this. Because I always think, man, if I was only good enough, maybe God would love me more. Oh, but grace. Grace is undeserved. The lavish, undeserved love of God for you. Peter says, may it be multiplied to you. Uh, any of you feel clueless as far as money and investing? Evidently, you're all experts. Can you talk to me about this later? Um, I feel clueless. I do know that multiplication is better than addition when it comes to money. Would you rather your money go plus two or times two? Times two. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. You're never running out of God's grace. Oh, thank you, Lord. In this time of exile, you're never running out of God's grace. It's multiplying. May peace be multiplied to you. That's a trick. These people are suffering. What's peace? Uh, from, from the Old Testament idea, it's shalom. It's this idea everything's okay. It's a sense, it's a knowledge that everything's okay, even though everything's not okay. Everything's okay because I belong to God. Look what Peter will say later, 1 Peter 5, 6. What's he say? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the right time, the proper time, he may exalt you. 
you got a hard time now, humble yourself. Trust, wait. Verse seven, casting what? What does God want you to do? I love this. All your anxieties on him. <laughs> do, you ever, do you have a friend and, you're, and they're like, how are you? And you're like, I'm not gonna tell you because it would be cruel. <laughs> you won't be able to handle it. Like if I cast my anxieties on you, I'll just bring us both down. We're both gonna drown right here. Now, by the way, you should still tell your friend, okay? But that's how we feel. I love that God has just told us this. What does God want you to do with all your anxieties? Just dump them right here. You need to vent. That's what prayer is sometimes. God, I'm going to tell you about the 983 things I am anxious about. He's like, keep it coming. I got you. I love you. I chose you. I changed you by my spirit. I paid for your sins by my son. You belong to me, and I'm here for you in your time of exile. I'm here for you in your time of need. Rely on his grace and his peace. Applications for us. Applications. Uh, The biggest one here is, um, have you really trusted your life to Jesus? You see in this passage, it's, there's more to being a Christian than just knowing about Jesus, wouldn't you say? Way more. There's a heart issue here. There's a truth issue you have to know. Yeah, he's the son of God who came for us. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place, rose from the dead. If you trust him, his perfection is accounted to you. Your sins are forgiven. You belong to God. That's the concept. Does your heart know it? Have you said, oh yeah, I need this. Please take me, Jesus. Have you been sanctified by the spirit? If you're like, I don't know, I haven't. Remember that thing in exile? Seek him. Seek him. Don't let this up. Pray this out. Say, if you're doubting God, say, God, if you're real, show up for me. If you have questions, search them out. I would love to talk to any of you about any of this. But go after him. This is the most important thing in the world. These claims are so huge. If this is not true, run for the hills. It's the biggest lie. If it is true, it, it deserves every ounce of who you are. So just know. Know where you stand with this. Seek him out. Have you trusted Christ? That's one big application. Another big application. We're going to have lots of great applications all through this letter. Here's just one for, the de- one for today. What did Peter call Christians? Exiles. That means that even though we don't belong here, we have a home, right? We are a people. Later in 1 Peter 2, he'll, he'll build on this theme, on who we are. But you see this in this Christian story, when God comes at you and gets you, he doesn't just leave you out there alone by yourself. What does he do? He brings you into a people and into a family. God is a welcoming God. He's a searching out God, right? He goes after. He's a bring people in kind of God. He's a reach out and get you kind of God, right? He brings you into a family. You were lost, now you're found. What should we be? What should we be? Here's something I've been thinking about. I hope it'll make sense. Because we're exiles together, I want you to help me build a culture of invitation. So look at this arrow, right? You know, lots of places in scripture, great commission. What are you supposed to do? Go. Go. Really, it's as you go, as you're always going. Go. 
What, what's, what's culture mean if we have a culture of invitation? What might I mean by that? Habit. Habit. It is normal. Your culture, the family culture, it's what you normally do. It's what you always do. You don't even think about it anymore. This is what you do. It's what you're like. That's your culture. We need to have a culture of invitation. How many of you know we're supposed to go out and get people for Jesus, but it really hasn't hit passion and habit in your life yet? This is space, the final frontier right here for Christians. A culture of invitation. What I mean here is you are regularly all the time welcoming people in, inviting people in. A good way is you're regularly, all the time, inviting people to church. All the time. What if we tried a question like this? You think this would work? You have a relationship, you're connecting with somebody, you're talking with somebody, you're bold, you have a culture of invitation. You say, hey, do you have a church you attend regularly? Is that that hard of a question? Do you have a church you attend regularly? If they say, yeah, I love my church, what do you say? Praise God, I'm glad you, that's great, good. We don't need any sheep stealing, sheep migrating. <laughs> Praise God, do you have a church you attend regularly? Why do we want to say the regularly word? Sometimes like, yeah, I go to church, I went back, I, I went to one in 84. <laughs> you know? Regularly. You have a church you attend regularly? Culture of invitation and you're ready. You're ready. You got one of those little gray cards I got on the table. You'd be like, here's our, here's our church. I wanted to invite you to our church. The second aspect might be another arrow as you're pressing in. Share your story. Share stories. God only knows you're scared to death. You try this. Hey, do you have a church you attend regularly? Um, and they might say something like, uh, I got this the other day. I asked, uh, this guy was telling me his story, how his, lots of problems, and I offered to pray for him, and he was like, no way, I hate prayer. I was like, okay. But he started telling me a story. All right. What should you do when they tell you their story? Whatever it is. Listen. They're valuable people. Listen to their stories. And guess what? At some point, it's your turn. Do you know how to share your story? This needs to be 30 seconds for some of these. I dare you, actually, I dare you to write it out in one paragraph. Your story. Man, I hear what you're saying. You're broken. You're hurt. Or I hear what you're saying. Your church was terrible to you. Or I hear what you're saying. God seems far away. You listen to that. That's real. That's important to them. But do you have a story, too? You say, can I just tell you how it works for me? This is what's happened for me. I used to be over here. God met me like this. I, I realize your church was horrible to you, and hopefully you guys wouldn't say this. <laughs> people, people in my church welcome me. I hope you feel that way. I'm sorry if you don't. But share your story. Add your part. And as you do that, what's the, what's the best thing you can do? Number three, share the gospel. I hope for each one of you, when you share your story, you can't go too long without the gospel. I can't go too long. You know, somebody's out there is like, hey, Christians are a bunch of jerks. You can be like, you know what? Can I just raise my hand? I have been that person. I want to apologize. I'm a Christian, and I have been a jerk to people. But can I just tell you how the gospel helps me? If you thought Christians were people who had it all together and never messed up, 
That's not the way I see it. Jesus came to save sinners. I'm at church because I know I need help, not because I'm done needing help. Share the gospel. Share who Jesus is and what he's done. A culture of invitation where it's a habit. You're out there every, every week. You're ready. Every day you are ready. You are regularly inviting. You're sharing stories regularly. You're sharing the gospel regularly. And then I want to come back to a culture of invitation. That's why we've got that underline there. Culture of invitation. Does it need to stop? If, uh, oh, they came to church once, we told them the gospel once, now I don't need to invite them anymore. Culture of invitation part two is this. If anybody walks through these doors, ever, even if it's their 12th time, their 100th time, their first time, what kind of people are we going to be for them? Who do you want to be? If somebody walks in here with a different lifestyle than you're used to, or a different look than you're ready for, or, or, or they seem awkward, or they're older, or whatever they are, are you ready to do what? Welcome them. Ask this question, who's the gospel for? Who's, who's the invitation for? Yes, right? Yes. Are they breathing? Are they breathing? Welcome them. If they're not breathing, really work on them, right? <laughs> There's nobody who shouldn't get our love. And so here's where we need one another. I was talking with a friend the other day. It's hard to be awake to other people sometimes, isn't it? Especially at church, right? How many of you, for, for you, sometimes it's a war just to get to church? You're like, I made it, I'm 10 minutes late, whatever, I made it. Whew, that was tough. Good job, guys. Good job, seriously, I mean that. It is hard to get here. Don't you want more from yourself than that? Be the person you long for others to be when it comes to your own sense of belonging. Right? I w you go to a new crowd any, any place, anytime. What are you hoping for from somebody who's sort of like you? They come over and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. And what's your name? And what do you do for work? And oh, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Can you tell me again? That's okay, right? You want somebody to be that person for you. And sometimes we get so hurt when they aren't. I get it. But the way out of this problem is not to all sulk and be like, oh, nobody's friendly to me. What's the way out? You lead the way. Which you? You. A culture of invitation. So you want to try this with me? You want to try to build a culture where it's our habit? It's our expectation? We say in our mission, right? We're grounded in the gospel. We gather to grow in the gospel. And then we scatter to do what? What do we scatter to do? Spread the gospel. That sounds really nice. It looks so good on our wall. Let's make it a culture, a habit. Why? Because that's what God's done for us. We were strangers. He brought us in. We were a mess. He loved us. We were all, we were all alone. He brought us into his family. Let's just, let's just do what our Father does in the power of his Spirit. Let's pray.
Our Father, we thank you so much for your grace that um, you've known us in your mind and you love us to save us and you brought us near as your children through what Jesus has done. Lord, we pray the work of your spirit would still be happening in me and all of us, Lord, sanctifying us, opening us up to who you are and your love. Lord, we confess here in exile, it's hard life sometimes, Lord. There is. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.